I recently read a study that uh, when it rains out, apparently church attendance is down by 17% uh, across America. So uh, apparently you all didn't get the memo. So uh, it's good to have you all here this morning uh, in the midst of this wonderful uh, weather that we're having. Uh, special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Uh, we're glad you are here this morning. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to uh, the New Testament book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew 16 today, uh, which is a very pivotal chapter uh, in uh, the New Testament, uh, in the book of Matthew. And uh, today, as Jeff said, is also Vision uh, Vision Sunday, uh, which means that we're going to kind of look ahead a little bit, look forward, and think together, dream together, consider together uh, what the future uh, might look like. And so, I thought to kind of tee this up a little bit. Uh, I ran across an article uh, a couple of weeks ago in The Economist magazine. Any of you who read The Economist, uh, I'm a big fan of The Economist. Uh, an article called, What Lies Ahead? The world will have to learn to live with COVID-19. What will the future look like? And I thought I would just read a little excerpt from this uh, because it was really helpful for me uh, to be thinking about uh, kind of where things are and where we're going. So the uh, science writers of The Economist uh, write this. The world has experienced pandemics before. In the cholera outbreak of the 1830s, nearly 3% of Parisians died from the disease in a single month. At the end of the 19th century, around one million people uh, may have died from the Russian flu, which some think was caused by a coronavirus. Uh, The Spanish flu uh, that struck in 1918 killed around 50 million people uh, in just a couple of years. COVID-19 now joins that list. The pandemic has probably killed uh, 10 to 19 million. And the economists, uh, they're estimating somewhere around 16 million is what they think, according to their studies. COVID is far from the deadliest disease humanity has faced. Most of those infected do not even know they have it. But in the end, all pandemics burn out. Eventually, sufficient numbers of people develop immunity so viruses can no longer find new hosts at the rate they need to sustain growth. What is novel about this pandemic is the speed at which science in the form of vaccines and treatment is accelerating uh, the disease journey to endemicity. The question now is how quickly it will become endemic and what the world will look like as it does. And for me, this article was really helpful because they're starting to now talk about the coronavirus or this coronavirus, COVID-19 as an endemic. In other words, COVID-19 is going to be with us for the rest of our lives, all of us. And what the the authors of this article are saying is, get used to it, folks. It's not going away for the rest of our lives or until Jesus comes. I'm hoping Jesus comes first. We have to learn how to live with it. We have to figure out how to navigate it. We have to learn how to manage it. And what the article does is it really kind of explains this idea that in in comparing COVID-19, much like tuberculosis, HIV, AIDS, and and many other uh, viruses that we deal with today, much like the flu. 
It's always going to be around. And we have to figure out how to manage it and how to navigate it. That's the future of COVID-19. Maybe that was worth coming to church this morning. I don't know. It's not going away, folks. It's here to stay. And I like this article, and it was really helpful for me. Because when we can wrap our heads around where is all this going, it helps us to know how to live today. When we look out towards the future and have some ideas of what the future might look like, it helps us to learn how to live today. How do I behave today? How do I make decisions today? How do I think today? And so that's what this morning is all about here at Faith Lutheran Church of McLean County as well. We're going to look out into the future a little bit and think a little bit about what it might look like, dream together what it might look like, consider what it might look like, uh, primarily in 2022 and beyond, so that today we can know how to live, we can know how to think, we can know how to believe, and we can know how to follow Jesus today uh, as a congregation and as a community. So that's what today is about, being Vision, uh, Vision Sunday. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the day that you've given to us, for the people who have gathered in this place, the people who have gathered online, uh, all of us, Lord, as we worship you, as we serve you, as we just kind of pause for a few moments, God, and we um, dare to glimpse into the future to consider what you might have to say to us and to our community, to our church, to our congregation, that, God, we might look out a little bit so that we can serve faithfully today. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if you've been coming to Faith Lutheran Church for hopefully any length of time, you know that we talk a lot about Jesus here. We talk a lot about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to learn from Jesus, what it means to uh, read about Jesus, and what it means to obey Jesus. And really, this is the idea of discipleship. You've heard this word over and over if you've been around. We talk a lot what it means to be a disciple, which really is a learner, uh, but not just someone who learns, but someone who actually uh, behaves a different way. It's about obedience uh, to God's word and to the scriptures. And so you know that our mission statement is uh, growing disciples uh, who grow disciples. Uh, another way we could just say that is be one, make one, right? So be a disciple, and make another disciple. So you've got to focus on yourself. We all need to focus on ourselves and in, in terms of what it means to follow Jesus. And then the challenge is to look around to those in our families, in our communities, in the world, and say, who might I help to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ? Growing disciples who grow disciples. And our vision statement uh, is all about planting churches. And we primarily put most of our focus on uh, growing disciples. We believe that when we focus on discipleship, when we focus on learning about Jesus and, and behaving like Jesus has called us to live according to his word, the natural outgrowth of that is just going to be planting churches. 
The people are going to hear a call from God to say, you know what, you need to plant a church in this community or this community and or this community. And those of you who have been around, you know that in 2021, uh, Faith Lutheran Church, we have been a part of uh, supporting four church plants, and it's been a wonderful journey. Uh, and we didn't go looking for these church plants. We just, uh, these things just arose through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what uh, we've been about in 2021. Growing disciples and planting churches. And I got one more slide for you. Go ahead, Jamie, put that next one up there. And this is our vision. Uh, I said, you know, we've been supporting four church plants this past year, which is awesome, which I would say is a great start uh, because we have a vision to plant a thousand churches uh, over the course of 40 years. And this is the math that really helps us and the vision that really helps us get out. What does it mean to plant a thousand churches over 40 years? And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that, not so much in detail today, uh, but as, as the time goes on here. So we talk about this idea of a disciple and what is a disciple. I think people use this word disciple uh, in so many different ways today that it can actually be confusing. Uh, we're not really sure. What do we believe as disciples? How do we behave as disciples and the good news is, uh, Jesus tells us. He's got some answers for us. And so we're going to look in Matthew 16 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, Jesus is going to talk about uh, what it means uh, to believe as a disciple and how to behave as a disciple. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. At the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Then he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. So Jesus is talking to his disciples saying, Here, here's what's going to happen to me. And he continues on. Peter looked at him and began to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind of con the concerns of God, but mere merely human concerns. So here's Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, saying, no, Jesus, it can't be that way. It's not going to happen that way. And it says that Jesus um, uh, rebukes him. He looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to you and called you Satan, how much therapy would you need for the rest of your life? I mean, that's a little bit harsh, right? But that's what Jesus says to his friend, one of his closest disciples. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. Peter, you're thinking about your own stuff. You're thinking about human stuff. And what I'm talking about is heavenly stuff, divine stuff. Jesus continues, or continues. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to, lose, wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I think that's a pretty good definition of what discipleship is all about Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. 
You know, in the early church, the very first creed they had in the early church was three words. Jesus is Lord. That was their creed. We now have the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, the Athanasian Creed. Those all came later. But the very first creed was Jesus is Lord. And we think, okay, that's a nice creed. I get it. That's, that's great. But that creed was absolutely revolutionary. Because Jesus is Lord was a statement of faith that was all about flying in the face of the culture and the society around them. In 12 AD, that we, we hear about uh, uh, Caesar Augustus. You know, we read about him. When, Jesus, uh, when Mary and Joseph uh, went to Bethlehem and Jesus was born, it was Caesar Augustus. Same Caesar, same guy. In 12 AD, Caesar Augustus went to the people of Rome and he declared himself Pontifex Maximus, the chief priest. He said, I am now the top dog here. I am a god. You must declare me as Lord. And so we had all these temples converted, and people started worshiping him as a God, as Lord, as the supreme being. They even made coins. And if you looked at the coins, the Roman coins, it says, Caesar is Lord. It was their in God we trust statement. It was, it was the, this is who is the top dog who is the absolute over all, all of us. He is a God. So when people stated, when Christians said, Jesus is Lord, it was treason. It was a way of standing in the face of the government and says, no, no, no. Caesar is not Lord. He is not the top dog. Jesus is. And of course, this is what got Christians in so much trouble in the early church. They kept declaring Jesus is Lord. It got them in trouble and they were said, no, you need to say that Caesar is Lord. And they refused and they said, no, Jesus is Lord. And so what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, both today and in the future? It quite simply means surrender. Surrender. So as we look ahead to 2022 and beyond, we're going to continue to focus our lives, our lens, how we see the world, what it means to be Christ followers is surrendering to ourselves, surrendering to my needs, surrendering to my wants, surrendering to my time, surrendering to my talent, surrendering to my treasure, surrendering to my hope, surrendering to my dreams, Surrendering to my fears, surrendering to my past, my present, to my future. Do you see where we're going with all this? We, as Jesus followers, as disciples of Christ, are called to surrender. So, as we look into the future, we're going to continue to confess our sin at the beginning of every single worship service. We're going to continue to invite one another to confess our sins and to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and surrender to ourselves. About 500 years ago, Martin Luther came up with this idea that was absolutely revolutionary. I never studied Latin, but this this is what Luther wrote in Latin. Crex sola es nostra theologia, or something like that which simply means the cross alone is our theology. We know this as the theology of the cross. 
It's how we view the world. It's how we view our own lives. That everything we do, everything that we see, everything that we experience is, is experienced through the lens of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we juxtapose this idea, the theology of the cross, with the theology of glory. And the theology of glory is Jesus is there, God is there to make you happy and healthy and wealthy and everything is good. And though you can turn on the TV and you can flip through the channels and you can see all sorts of preachers preaching this theology of glory that if you just follow Jesus, your life is going to be awesome. But how many of us know that's just a pipe dream? And furthermore, Jesus never said it. It's not in the Bible. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you're going to suffer. Life is going to be hard. And Luther reminds us that this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to pick up our cross and to suffer and bear the weight of the world around us. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, he said to his disciples. Take up their cross and follow me. And so I thought I'd uh, put up a picture of, of Leonardo's uh, Last Supper there. How'd they do? How did the disciples do with this charge to take up their cross and follow Jesus? To suffer, to lose their lives, to surrender their lives. About 100 years um, after Jesus died and rose, the early church got going, things were, were humming along, more and more Christians, more and more disciples. There was a church leader, a guy by the name of Tertullian. He was a historian. And so he kind of looked around a little bit and said, hey, how did that work? How did that work with the disciples in terms of uh, when Jesus told them to take up their cross and follow him? How did the disciples do? How did they do following Jesus in those early days? And I think it's really important for us to look at the early disciples, the sacrifices the disciples made, because 20 centuries later, we have a different definition of discipleship, of what it means to follow Jesus. And I think what we've got is this distorted idea of what discipleship is all about. So I'm going to invite us to go back in time, about 19 centuries, uh, to church history. How did the disciples do? Uh, this is what, go back to that one, Jamie. I like this quote. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He said, this is really what happened over the first hundred years. The blood of the martyrs really became the seed of the church. Next slide. So how did the, uh, how did the apostles uh, who are now disciples do? So this is how uh, each of the uh, disciples died. Remember Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. So let's take a look at each one of these folks uh, who uh, followed Jesus. James uh, was beheaded about 10 years after Jesus died for proclaiming that Jesus was Lord. Philip was tortured. He was the guy uh, that uh, over and over, uh, have you ever, anybody ever uh, gone fishing and flayed a fish before? That's what they did to Philip. They flayed him. They took his skin off. That's how they tortured him to death, and he bled out. That's how Philip died. What a great death, right? Torture. 
Peter, uh, many of you that know this, uh, he was crucified upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to die in the same way that Christ died, so would you please tip me upside down? And he died on a cross upside down. Now, another James, uh, they threw him off the temple. Uh, It was about 100 feet up in the air. They threw him down to the ground, and he landed on the ground, and they watched, and he started breathing. He started moving around a little bit. And somebody in the crowd said, he's still alive. So they went over to him with clubs, and they beat him to death because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus being Lord. Bartholomew, tortured. Thomas, he went off to India. He was burned, burned at the stake, burned to death. Matthew uh, went off to Ethiopia, and he he was sharing Jesus with the people in Ethiopia. He was stabbed in the back, just boom, right in the back. Thaddeus, Simon, they were crucified. All these apostles, go back. All these apostles died pretty gruesome deaths, pretty horrible deaths. They actually believed in Jesus' words to take up their cross and follow him. All except for John. John died a natural death as an old man. And he, of course, wrote the Gospel of John. But before John died on the island of Patmos, he was dipped in a a cauldron of hot oil. And for some reason, it didn't kill him. Boiling oil, olive oil, I suppose. So he had burns all over his body the rest of his life. And he survived it. And they're like, well, let's send him off to Patmos, this penitentiary, this penal colony. So my question for all of us this morning is this. When did we change the definition of discipleship? To going to safe places, to be around nice people, to do easy things at convenient times. I mean, that's really the definition of discipleship today, isn't it? We want our comfort. We want what it means to be easy as we go through life. Now, next slide, Jamie. And so again, I showed you guys this slide last week. I just had to bring it back. One, I just love Braveheart. But too often, I think we view discipleship as the person sitting on a couch with a cup of coffee, computer open, doing Jesus. In the comfort of our home, it's all good, it's all fine. That's really the, the, the picture of discipleship today, isn't it? It's easy, it's convenient, it's comfortable. And, and you know what? If you're by yourself, you don't even argue with anyone else. But that was never the definition of discipleship according to Jesus and not according to the gospel of Matthew. Jesus says that's not what it is. To be a disciple is to be on the battlefield. We were born on the battlefield, a battlefield between good and evil. And God in Christ Jesus has called us to go to war with the enemies of this world against the principalities, against the powers of this world, that there is evil out there. And we need to go to battle. So how in the world, how in the world did, was Jesus able to turn the world upside down? Keep in mind, Jesus never had a marketing plan as we know it today. But he did have a plan for discipleship. 
Jesus never wrote a book. Jesus uh, never planted a church. Jesus never had a podcast. Jesus never had a YouTube channel. Jesus never posted on TikTok. I mean, how in the world did he get his message out to the world and change everything as we know it today? He used a couple ordinary guys. And very early on in the church, people understood Jesus' marketing plan. And it's recorded in Acts 4.13, where the Sanhedrin really kind of understand what's going on. When they, the Sanhedrin, saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Ordinary men, unschooled men, not super smart, not super influential, uh, not super wealthy. Ordinary, unschooled men but that they had been with Jesus. I think this is a great definition for all of us today as we think about what it means to be a disciple. Jesus' marketing plan was very, very simple. It was not complicated. No social media. It was really just all about staying connected to the people, about investing and pouring in to 12 unschooled, uh, ordinary guys. That's it. Hey, guys, let's go camping, fishing, hiking together for three years. Let's just do life together. And at some point in time, if you are a disciple, uh, an early disciple of Jesus Christ, you've seen the miracles, you've heard the teachings, you maybe even drank some of the wine uh, from the water that turned into wine. You maybe ate some of the miraculous catch of fish. After time, you spend three years with somebody who is doing such extraordinary, amazing things, you're going to start buying into what Jesus is talking about. Discipleship is less about the things that we learn, less about the things that come to us that are taught, and more about the things that are caught just by being around other people, just by being around Jesus, just by being around God's word. Oftentimes we think that, you know, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is, is learning all about the Bible and, and, and God and who God is. And that's part of it. But I went to seminary. That's not discipleship. That's scholarship. And that's the idea that all this information lives up in your head. Discipleship is allowing God's word and other people, other Christ followers, to come upon you, to speak into your life as you are speaking into and pouring into other people's lives as well. And this is why we keep talking about life groups over and over and over. Why it's so important for us to be in relationship with one another as we're reading God's word, as we're praying together, as we're gathering together in worship. What we do here on Sunday morning is, is not inconsequential. It matters. It matters that we are in relationship with one another on Sunday mornings, and it matters that we're in relationship with one another in, in these small groups that we call life groups. Jesus' plan for discipleship was not about who's got the most knowledge, who's the most skilled, who's the most influential, who's the most uh, wealthy. Jesus' plan for discipleship is who's the most available. 
This is the number one excuse I hear in the life of the church, why people can't be followers of Jesus. I don't have time. I don't have room in my schedule to be available for what it means. But this is the number one criteria for what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It just means being available. Saying, yes, Lord, I'm available. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take those other things in my life. I'm just going to put them on the shelf. They're good things. They're important things. But I'm going to be available for you. That's the most important criteria. And that should be good news for all of us this morning. Because we all can choose to be available. In 2022, I'm going to invite all of us to be available. Go ahead to the next slide there, Jamie. For a daily reading. Just to be available to spend time with Jesus every single day in 2022. This past year, um, in 2021, uh, we gave uh, most of you, hopefully all of you, uh, through the Bible uh, in one year. And uh, we bought 170 170 of these, and I've still got two at my house. uh, That, uh, If you want another one of these uh, for someone to give away, uh, you'd be most welcome to it. Um, So we've given out 168 of these. And I know many who have been and continuing to read uh, through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, and it's been quite a journey. And, and I invited you and I challenged you, hey, what if you dedicated 15 minutes of 2021 to uh, reading through God's word? And so many of you have. And it's been so fun for me to hear your stories about how God's word has spoken to you. And many of you have shared with me, I've never read through the whole Bible before. This is the first time in my life. I'm in my 70s. I'm in my 80s. I've never read through the Bible. But this year I'm reading through the Bible and it is so good. And it's speaking to me. And I've got a lot of questions. And those of you who are reading through the Bible as we're reading through Ezekiel now, oh my goodness, right? I have a lot of questions about what's going on in Ezekiel. That is some crazy stuff. But we're going to be finished with this pretty soon. And so in 2022, we've got 200 of these books. They're sitting at my house. And we've got one for each of you. And this is a a, a New Testament commentary on the Gospel of John. And we want to give one of these to every single one of you with a reading plan and invite you to read through the Gospel of John in 2022. If 2021 is about quantity, getting through a lot of content, 2022 is going to be about quality and going deep in this gospel, and just meditating and reflecting on the words of Jesus and all that's going on. And this uh, particular commentary is written by uh, Charles Swindoll. If you've ever uh, seen him on uh, TV, the radio, he's written lots of books. He's one of my favorite Baptist preachers. He's got some really good stuff uh, for us uh, to challenge us, I think, about what it means to live in the gospel of John. So that's your daily reading. Um, Again, available. You open? You open to reading the Gospel of John in 2022? Weekly worship. All throughout 2020, or most of 2022, we are going to be going through the Gospel of John. Line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, really unpacking it. I've never done this before, but we're going to do a 44-part sermon series on the Gospel of John in 2022. 
We're going to go deep. We're going to look at all the words, not just some of the words, all of the words of Jesus and how the early church and how the disciples followed after Jesus. So I just want to invite you, come to church on Sunday morning in 22. Are you available? Yeah. Just make yourself available. And then the third challenge, the third invitation I want to give you for 2022 is to gather with a group of Jesus followers twice a month and discuss the Gospel of John. You guessed it. So we'll be having conversation over and over throughout 2022. I think it's good to read about it, study it on your own. It's good to gather and worship on Sunday morning. But then gather with another group of people, Christ followers. Say, hey, what does this mean for you? How does this, re- how does this resonate with you? And then encourage one another. So those are really just very simple plan. Very simple plan for 2022 as we go through uh, the Gospel of John. And, and again, the question is just, are you going to make yourself available? So what do we do with all this? You know, during World War II, um, they say uh, that it was one of the lowest unemployment uh, seasons in the history of our country. I think the unemployment rate during World War II was about one point something percent because people were so busy and so focused on delivering freedom around the world. Our nation was in crisis. The world was in crisis during World War II, right? And so people gathered together and did whatever it took to get out and to be a part of of the, 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 uh, the effort to bring freedom. And so many, many businesses had to shift, they had to pivot to making something over here, uh, to making something over here, and lots of the industry uh, changed. Many people who were retired left retirement, got back into the workforce so that they could help build whatever it was uh, to win World War II. Many stay-at-home moms during World War II said, you know what, I'm going to get into the workforce because I'm going to help out with the cause of bringing freedom to the world. We know Rosie the Riveter, right? She rolled up her sleeves and said, I'm getting into the game. And there was just all this, uh, this, this focus and this commitment to getting into the game during World War II in order to contribute to the freedom uh, around the world. A couple years later, uh, Dwight Eisenhower said, this person is responsible for winning the war for us. Whoa, that's quite a statement. This person is responsible for winning the war for us. Does anybody know who that person is? You're probably a little bit curious. Was it a great diplomat? Was it a great war hero? Was it somebody who was super wealthy? It's a guy by the name of Andrew Higgins. And most of you are thinking to yourselves, who is Andrew Higgins? I didn't know who Andrew Higgins was either. Several years ago, uh, our family went to uh, New Orleans uh, because we were living in the South and we thought that'd be a fun place to take the kids. And when you get to not that part of New Orleans, the fun part of New Orleans, the kid-friendly part of New Orleans. So when we got to New Orleans... We learned that there was a World War II museum there. And I thought, why in the world is there a World War II museum in New Orleans? I didn't know New Orleans had anything to do with World War II. 
But when you walk into the World War II uh, Museum in New Orleans, Louisiana, you immediately learn about Andrew Higgins. Andrew Higgins was a boat developer. He built boats. That's all he did. He had built a boat called the Eureka. And the Eureka uh, was simply a fishing boat uh, that you used in the bayou. It was, it, was a, it was a boat that just kind of floated around in very shallow waters. And he used this boat over and over and over, and he sold it to fishermen. It was a great tool to use in the bayou. But during World War II, Andrew Higgins looked around and said, I think I'm part of the solution. I think the U.S. government needs me. If we're to bring freedom to the world, I'm going to need to do something with my Eureka boat. And so he started redesigning his Eureka boat, became known as the Higgins boat. And the Higgins boat, 20,000 of those were built during World War II. And these are the boats that landed on Normandy. These are the boats that landed on shores all around the world where there were no harbors, where boats couldn't just drop anchor and attack on shore. These were the boats that made all the difference in the world. The Higgins boat. And Hitler knew about this boat. And he hated Andrew Higgins. And he called Higgins the second Noah. Think about that. The guy who saved the world through building a boat by faith. Now what if Andrew Higgins and said, I like fishing in the bayous of Louisiana. I'm just going to keep building boats. And ignored the needs of the world. Ignored that the world was on fire. Ignored that there was hatred and evil everywhere. But that's not what Higgins did. Higgins said, I've got a Eureka boat. I need to do something with it. I need to make something out of it. And I need to care and steward this boat so that freedom fighters can travel all over the world and bring freedom and hope. Andrew Higgins was not the greatest diplomat of his day. He was not the greatest war strategist of the day. He was not the wealthiest guy of the day. He was just a guy with a Eureka boat. And he took what he had. He said, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this to help make a difference in the world. This morning, I want to invite you to consider that you have a Eureka boat. And your Eureka boat is your time, your talent, and your treasure. And you can do those things whatever you want. You can just take care of yourself. You can make yourself feel good. You can make yourself feel comfortable. And spend all your time doing whatever you want to do. Or you can give your Eureka boat to something greater. And so this morning... Um, got a pledge card, got an opportunities to serve at faith. I want you to think of these as your, your, your Eureka boat, your opportunity to give, to make a difference, to serve, so that the world, which continues to be on fire, 
the world which continues to be broken, the world where there is still lots and lots of evil everywhere, you can make a difference, that you can contribute in a way. So as you um, got a mailing a couple weeks ago, and if you didn't get that mailing, I know we've got some more cards back there. If you've got your pledge card, um, go ahead and put it in your envelope. Maybe you brought it this morning. I know some of you turned them in last week. Some of you are just overachievers. I want to say awesome. Thank you. It's amazing. So if you've got your pledge cards this morning, one per family, we're going to bring those up in just a moment, put them in the basket. But you've also got an opportunity um, to bring these forward and put them in the basket as well. One is opportunities to serve at faith, which is here on Sunday morning. And the other is opportunities to serve in our community. And these are one per person. So I'm going to invite Jeff to uh, just play some music this morning for us to just take a little bit of time. If you've got it filled out, you can bring it up, put it in the basket. If you don't have it filled out yet, just take some time. There's no rush this morning. I even made the sermon a little bit shorter so we could just be intentional about what bringing to God, how God has blessed us, our time, talent, our treasure, all that we have, and just bring it to put it in the basket, and in a small way say, God, I'm available. I'm available to walk with you. I'm available to walk with your people.